Father, as we draw this message series to a close, we pray that we would learn many things from your word. Today we pray that we will join with Bartimaeus and say, Son of David, have mercy on me. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, today we do come to the conclusion of our short little series on road rules. We've been looking at four different teachings of Jesus from Mark chapter 10 that are fundamentals to the Christian life. And just by way of review, you see rule number one. This was four weeks ago. We come like children. We come to God like children, totally dependent upon him. We will never outgrow our need for his grace. I guess we could boil that down just to say we need to come to God like children. Well, here's the second rule. Uh, life in God is life without limits. Or, or put another way, what is impossible for you is possible with God. After all, all things are possible with God. The third rule, greatness comes through serving others. Uh, whatever his purpose is or his will for your life, it always involves serving other people. Now, today we're going to come to number four in a little while. It's that story of the blind beggar, the guy whose name was Bartimaeus. And I'm going to go back and, and, and cover some of these verses by verses that Dennis just read to you, starting with verse 46. It said, Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. I'm going to stop here. What I'm going to do is make observations again as we go through the text. And here's our very first observation, and that is that it helps to put yourself in the path of blessings. Now, Bartimaeus positioned himself on the side of the road uh, leading out of the city of Jericho so that travelers would be very sure to see him as they were passing by. Now, most of these travelers coming out of Jericho would have been heading to Jerusalem. They were pilgrims. They were heading there for spiritual reasons. And because they were heading there for spiritual reasons, were probably much more inclined to be generous. And Bartimaeus wanted to make sure that he was sitting where generous people were walking by. Now, he was very limited in what he could do. I mean, his life, because he was blind, was reduced to begging. In fact, in that day and age, the very fact that he was blind, chances are his parents, even at a young age, put him out there for the purpose of begging. And maybe by this time his parents were gone, but this is the only way he had to be able to live. He did what he could, and the one thing he could do was he could put himself in the path of blessing. Now, this makes good business sense. I mean, if your income today is dependent upon what other people give you or dependent upon people buying from you, uh, you need to go where the money is. You need to put yourself in the path of opportunity. And when I think about it, there's really a sense in which we need to do this in every area of our life. I mean, for example, ask yourself, am I putting myself in a place of opportunity? Is the road that I'm currently traveling on today, is this the path towards God's blessings? Are my habits or my attitudes, or my giving, or my relationships, are these things that are helping me move toward a direction where God 
wants to bless me. There's another observation to make here, and that is that every person in God's kingdom is treated with dignity. That's the next observation. I mean, I hope you notice that Mark called this guy by name. He even said the name of his father. He was Bartimaeus, who is the son of Timaeus. Now, Bartimaeus was not some sort of an expendable, insignificant bum, because, well, I think we all should know that there's no such thing as an ex- a expendable or insignificant person in the kingdom of God. That's why Mark calls him by name. Now, you're going to see a picture of Norman Vincent Peale up here, I think. Whoop, he shot, was there. There he is again. Norman Vincent Peale. Many of you probably remember his book, The Power of The True Joy of Positive Living, The Power of Positive Thinking. I think it was one of his first books. Uh, but in his autobiography, uh, Norman Vincent Peale tells a story about walking down the streets in Cincinnati with his father one Christmas Eve when a a uh, dirty, raggedy man approached him asking for a handout. A- and Norman just shook the man off and kept going, but his father uh, stopped him and said, Norman, never, ever treat a man like that. And then he reached into his pocket and took out some money and handed it to Norman and said, Now, Norman, you go after that man and you say to him, I give you this Christmas gift in the name of the blessed Lord Jesus Christ. Norman said, Don't want to. Don't want to do that. His father said, you go and you do as I told you. So Norman had to run down the block, catch up with this beggar, and said, Sir, I give you this Christmas gift in the blessed name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The man looked at him with some of his surprise, and and with a bow, he, he said to Norman, Young man, I accept your gift. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And and with those words, Norman said, A wonderful smile illuminated uh, this man's face, and the dignity seemed to possess him. And later his dad asked him what lesson he learned from this experience. And Norman Vincent Peale said, I saw the man he really is. See, his father replied, Always remember and never forget, Jesus Christ can make men and women what they can be. See, in these verses, verses 47 and 48, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, here's another observation to make. You have to know when to ignore the crowd. See, when Bartimaeus starts shouting by the side of the road, The crowd is just telling him to be quiet, shut up, don't talk. Now, when I read this, I always wonder, who are these people? Who are these people who told him to be quiet? Well, some of them were these, quote, religious people who were heading up to Jerusalem uh, to worship. Uh, Some of them were maybe even Jesus' followers who had been traveling with him. Some of them may have even been his disciples. After all, remember his disciples in this same chapter four weeks ago, It said, get those little kids away from Jesus. Don't bother Jesus. Or it could have just been other beggars who were sitting there and saying, hey, keep it down, keep it down. Don't ruin a good thing here for us. Now, whoever it was, it's kind of like with one voice, they all shouted, leave Jesus alone. Who do you think you are? You're making a spectacle of yourself. But 
Bartimaeus made a rather strategic and life-changing decision not to listen to the crowd. I don't know if you can remember back in the Old Testament the story of David and Goliath. Uh, Goliath, this big nine-and-a-half-foot-tall giant, was tormenting uh, and challenging the whole army of Israel every day, challenging them to send one person down to fight. When little David came to bring some food to his older brothers, uh, David arrived on the scene and he said, What reward will be given to the man who kills this Philistine? Let me read you what his brothers said to him. What are you doing here? Aren't you supposed to be taking care of the sheep? We know all about the evil in your heart, and we know you're just here to see the fight. What did David do when his brothers told him that? It says he turned his back on his brothers and spoke to someone else and asked, What reward will be given to the man who kills the Philistine? See, you've got to know when to ignore the critics in your life. You've got to know when to ignore the crowd because there will always be people in your life who will want to stand between you and Jesus. They will want to stand between you and victory. They will want to stand between you and a miracle. They will want to stand between you and this brand new life. People will tell you that you have no business hoping for what you're hoping for, that you're just nothing more than just a blind beggar. Stay put, stay quiet, stay out of God's way. And you know something, friends, when people do that to you, that's when you ought to shout even all the louder, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, continuing this little story, Jesus stops and he says what? Call him. Call him. Now, I don't know if you remember the context of this story. We've only been in one chapter for four weeks. Jesus, just not long before, had been telling his disciples what? I need to go to Jerusalem now to suffer and to die. He's walking to Jerusalem facing a violent death. He knew, you know, we, we could probably guess too, the toll this took on him physically. I mean, he was in anguish, fearful. Maybe you could even, you could see it in his face. Maybe you could tell it in the way he was walking that this trip to Jerusalem was going to be his last one. It was going to be a mean, miserable thing. And even shortly before his death in Gethsemane, he said, Father, if there's any possible way for this cup to pass, take it away. I mean, he was stressed to the point later where he, he bled drops of blood. Now, this is probably going through his mind as he is making this uphill walk from Jericho to Jerusalem. You remember last week was he's making that, that, that trip. You know, the disciples were arguing who's the greatest in the kingdom. Probably, you know, you remember that they said, can we sit at the right hand and the left hand? We had a guy who said, hold it, uh, who, what about this inheritance? What are we going to do about this? And now here is one more needy person saying, help me, Jesus. Stop what you're doing. Help me. Well, here's another observation. As always with Jesus, his attitude and his actions reveal something. Other people always come first. Others come first. I mean, he had told James and John that in order to be great, you had to have a heart of a servant. And then he reveals that heart of a servant as he deals with Bartimaeus. I mean, great leaders know how to put aside their worries. They know how to take care of other people. Uh, there's an old hymn of the church, and I guess if I would have thought about this earlier, we probably could have tried singing it today. Uh, but it said, Lord, let me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer will be for others. 
Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be, Lord, let me live for others that I might live like thee. See, it's all about serving other people like Jesus. That was the point of last Sunday's message. You can't let whatever it is that you're going through or what you're worried about preventing you from ministering to the Bartimaeuses that are going to wander into your life or the Bartimaeuses that God puts in your life. So in verses 49 and 50, they call to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. And it says, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Maybe some of you wondered why before that little phrase was underlined, throwing his cloak aside. Let's, we'll get to that. Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels. And because it's so short, it's almost like he does everything he can to fill every phrase with powerful meaning. I mean, he's just absolutely brilliant in the details he puts here. And I think one of the most important phrases in today's story is throwing his cloak aside. Now, more than likely... This was his only possession. I mean, not only did this cloak keep him warm, but this cloak also served as a business storefront. He would have sat there and he would have spread that cloak out in front of him, perhaps sitting on part of it. But in front of him, part of that cloak would have been a place where people could have tossed their coins as they went by. But it says that when Jesus called him, what did he do? He threw his cloak aside. Now, why did he do that? I mean, the streets are full of uh, tourists, they're travelers, onlookers, merchants, beggars. Do you think it would be there when he got back? Uh, and, and this guy's made me think about it. And would a blind man be able to find it if he threw it away? Uh, no, I think when Bartimaeus threw that cloak away, he was not planning on coming back to it. That's what I think. He was not planning to come back to it. See, someone who no longer has a reason to beg, someone who no longer needs a beggar's cloak doesn't need to worry about where it lands or who picks it up or takes it. When Bartimaeus threw his cloak aside, he was throwing his old life aside. He was giving his all to Jesus. Here's our next little point, something I want you to see. Don't be afraid to let go of everything. Don't be afraid to let go of everything. Now, do you remember the story of the rich young ruler? This is a couple of weeks ago. Bartimaeus did what that guy evidently wouldn't do or couldn't do. I mean, it said he went away sad. Why? Because he had a lot of money. Bartimaeus instead threw everything aside for the sake of following Jesus. And then in verse 51... Jesus, when he sees him there, asks what seems like a pretty dumb question. What do you want me to do for you? Now, wouldn't you think Jesus would go, well, that's a blind guy. I kind of know what he wants. But he actually asked the man, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, what a question. Imagine for a moment you, just you, the king of kings, God's chosen Messiah, the one through whom God created all that exists, stands in front of you this afternoon in your living room and says, what do you want me to do for you? 
You got an answer for that? I mean, I can look at Ted and you know, say, Ted, if he stood right in front of you this afternoon and said, Ted, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, just imagine it. And Joseph said, God would stand right in front of you and say, what do you want me to do for you? Wow. Now, think how Bartimaeus could have replied. He could have said, well, I think I'm going to need a new cloak. I just kind of threw the old one away. He could have said, I'd like enough money so I don't need to sit here and beg all the time. I mean, he could have said, you know, I like to even the score with all of my enemies, all those clowns who keep tripping me when I walk by, all those guys who are sneaking coins off of my cloak. I mean, those are things that any powerful man could have done for him. But he knew that Jesus was much, much more than just a powerful man. So he had the courage to ask for it all. Verse 51, the blind man said, Rabbi, which means teacher, I want to see. Here's the next thing to take note of. Don't be afraid to ask for it all. Don't be afraid to ask for it all. You've probably heard the saying before, be careful what you ask for, you just might get it. You ever hear that one before? Actually, I think a Christian has no business saying that, at least not in terms of what we ask God for. If you ask for the wrong thing, God's not going to give it to you anyway. Uh, Jesus said that if your son asks for a fish, I mean, who's going to give him a snake? I mean, Jesus is the same thing. When you ask God for something that isn't right or something that isn't good for you, he knows exactly how to respond. He says, nope. Just that simple. We saw this last week, James and John. What did they want? One to sit on the right hand, one to sit on the left. Jesus said, that's not yours to ask for. And by the way, it's not mine to give. So the answer is, nope. But when we do ask for the right things, we experience his power. Listen to these words from 1 John chapter 5. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. Now, I heard someone criticize this verse one time. They said, well, talk about your fine print. Your prayers have to be according to God's will. I mean, in other words, I mean, if God is going to do it anyway, you just go ahead and ask and mark it down as an answered prayer. Well, I got news for you. That, that guy completely missed the point of a passage like that. Just because something is God's will does not mean that you're always going to get it. I mean, God wills many things to happen that never happen. For example, the Bible says he is not willing that anyone should perish, but there are many people dying without Jesus. It's his will that all people should be saved, but many people will never, ever receive Jesus as their Savior. It is God's will that people live abundantly, live life to the fullest, and yet many people spend their entire lives running on empty. It's God's will that our lives be full of joy, that we experience peace that passes all human understanding, and yet many people don't even begin to experience any of that in their lives. And it was God's will that Bartimaeus receive his sight. But do you know what? If Bartimaeus had said nothing 
and done nothing and asked for nothing, he would have got nothing. That's why James says you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. Now, I find these verses from James to be very liberating in my approach to prayer. There's nothing wrong with asking for it all. I mean, don't worry if you ask for the wrong thing. Jesus has enough backbone to tell you no. He's not like some wishy-washy mom and dad who can be nagged into submission. I mean, if you ask for the wrong thing or if you ask in the wrong way, guess what? The Holy Spirit is going to speak to you and convict you and help you refine your motives and refine your requests until they are consistent with what is best and what is God's best in your life. See, the problem is not that we ask too much. I would say that's probably true of all of us. The problem is not that we ask for too much. I think the problem is that we ask for too little or we don't even bother to ask at all. I was thinking about this this last week. I know we have a little bit of a shortfall in our income. We've been experiencing that in the last months. Talked about it after church. And I don't know what your reaction to it was. Maybe you thought, well, gee whiz, that's too bad. Uh, boy, oh boy, I hope it works out. Uh, or maybe you just thought, oh, how did we get ourselves into that situation? Uh, or, man, I wonder if I put in a few extra dollars, if everybody else had put in a few extra dollars, we could somehow kind of even this out. And, and I, I found myself kind of praying for an evening out of things. And, you know, thankfully my wife, even ahead of, I guess we kind of talked about that, already said, well, we can give a little bit more. We can do more. But I, I thought to myself, why not ask for it all? Why not ask for it all? Do you think God could make up the difference in this church in one week? at the hands of his people? I mean, those of you who don't think so, maybe we should talk about if, what you believe about Jesus later. But do you think he could do that? Do you think that between now and the end of the year that he would not only make up the difference through the hearts and the hands of his people, but that we would have an overabundance, that full measure, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing into our laps, so that we could do even more than we ever thought we could do? I think so. But I sometimes think the problem is is that we either ask for too little or we don't ask at all. I mean, imagine again if you were in Bartimaeus's sandals right now and Jesus says to you, what do you want me to do for you? What would be your response? I've had a lot of them lately where I just said, Lord, I want to see a miracle. This is what I, I want. I mean, the only way it could work would be if it were a miracle. Well, let's finish this story. Uh, Jesus said, verse 52, go, your faith has healed you. Now, here's road rule number four. Faith creates miracles. Faith creates miracles. A faith-filled life leads to a miracle-filled life. This is important to understand because need by itself doesn't activate the power of God. It is 
faith that activates the power of God. Jesus made this point time after time after time. Matthew 21, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Mark 11, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Mark 9:23. everything is possible for him who believes. See, more than once, including today's story, he says to the people who received the miracle, your faith has healed you. God responds not nearly, merely to need, he responds to faith. And you know why that is? It's because faith is what gets you involved in the situation. Now, I spent the entire message up to this point walking through the story, making some observations here or there. But I want to kind of tie it together. Jesus said to Bartimaeus, your faith has healed you. I want to end up by just asking this question. What was it about Bartimaeus' faith that activated the power of God? And how can we have that same kind of faith? Let me give you four things. Number one. Bartimaeus fixed his hope on Jesus, not on the crowd's approval or opinion. See, when being close to God matters to you more than what other people might think, you're on the way to a life-changing type of faith. I can't begin to tell you how many times I have ever said over the years as a pastor, even as a teacher, we can do this. And people have either said out loud or I could see by their faces, I don't think so. Well, guess what? Sometimes you have to look at those people and say, it's too bad you don't think so. The rest of us intend to walk by faith. That's what Bartimaeus did. He fixed his eyes on hope in Jesus, not on what other people tried to tell him. Here's number two. Bartimaeus let go of everything he had. He threw his cloak aside. I mean, he had every intention of giving up the beggar's life. I mean, that cloak may seem to us like a very meager possession, but it's all he had. He threw it away. And I would say, friends, when you're ready to throw away everything for the sake of a Jesus-filled life, you're on your way to a great faith. Would you be willing to give it all up for the sake of Jesus? And the third thing is, Bartimaeus wasn't afraid to ask for it all. He didn't say, I wish I could see well enough that giant Coke bottle lens glasses would help. (laughs) He didn't say, well, if I could see just a little bit out of this one eye. He knew what he wanted. He had probably heard that Jesus had done other miracles, that he'd healed other people, and he had the courage to ask for a miracle for himself. I mean, if he hadn't asked, it never would have happened. This is why we need to know the word. This is why we need to know the promises of God. We need to know the will of God for his people. We need to have the courage to ask for faith. Ask in faith. Well, I mean, when our our faith is based on God's word, you're well on your way to asking in faith. Here's number four. Bartimaeus followed through. It says, immediately he received his sight and what? Followed Jesus along the road. See, there's something in your faith that only Jesus can see. And that's your intention. The rich young ruler looked really good on paper, but he had no intention of following through on his interest in spiritual matters. 
Bartimaeus was just a beggar, but he also meant business. He wasn't just looking for a miracle in his life. He was looking for meaning in his life. And he was ready to sign on the dotted line, so to speak. You know, Lord, he, give me sight. And when he did, and where do I sign on the dotted line to be a fully sold out follower of Christ? He didn't just surrender his past. He surrendered his whole future. He became a follower. I mean, and, and though, to be honest, I don't think surrender is probably the best word to use here um, to describe what he did with his future. I mean, he, he surrendered to a life of victory. He surrendered uh, to a life of power. He surrendered to a life of miracles. He surrendered to a life of meaning and, a, and surrendered to a, a life eternal. That's quite a move up, isn't it? What is that old show that started out moving on up? I mean, he was about to start moving on up from a world that was filled with nothing but darkness to one that was filled with the light of the world. And guess what? God has called every last one of us to that same sort of life. It says in 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, God responds to the faith that is prepared to follow through. Faith creates miracles. A faith-filled life leads to a power-filled life, a miracle-filled life, and a blessing-filled life. So as we bring this message to a close, the series to a close, it's my prayer that as individuals and as a church we learn to live by these rules of the road. They should be up here on the screen, (coughs) I think. Huh, what do you know? I didn't put them up there. Well, I'm going to share them with you nonetheless. This is my prayer for you. This is my challenge for you. This is a prayer I'm going to be praying for the next days and weeks and months. And it's this. I pray that we all depend upon God for everything, just as children depend on their parents. I'm also going to pray for all of us that we expect the impossible to take place, looking not at our limitations but in God's promise to save us and God's ability to change us. I'm also going to pray that we pursue the greatness that comes in serving other people just like Jesus did. And finally, I'm going to pray for all of us that we throw aside our beggar's cloak and dare to ask in faith for the promises of God to be filled in our lives as we follow him day after day. Sorry I didn't get those up on the screen, but I am going to print that out for you in such a way that you can actually have a copy of that, and maybe you can just put it on your refrigerator or wherever it is you do your reading in the morning and pray that prayer each and every day. Like this close in prayer. Father, um, we pray as individuals, as families, as a gathering called First Lutheran, people of faith, we pray today that you will move us, stir us by the Spirit to depend upon you for everything. Enable us also to expect the impossible. Not to look at all of the limitations and all of the things that people say we can't do or some of the faulty other lessons we've learned in life, but instead to look at all the many promises that you've given to us. Promises to save us, promises to prosper us, promises to change us. 
And at the same time, Lord, teach us to pursue the greatness that comes only in serving others. May we be servants like Jesus. And finally, Father, enable us to throw aside our beggar's cloaks and dare to ask you in faith to ask for it all. To ask in faith for the promises of God to be fulfilled in our lives, even as we follow and obey day after day. It's in his name we pray. Amen.